everyone and welcome to the Darkness Within radio show. Tonight I bring to you Jeremy Leonard who is an author and also a Cajun demonologist. So he's in queue with us. I also have my co-host Scott Hamilton and I also have Carrie on the line from um, Northeast Indiana. Welcome everyone and how's everyone doing tonight? Good, good, good. I'm doing just fine. Yeah, good, doing good. 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 I'm actually in Virginia. Just my cell phone's oh, in Indiana. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I have to I go by what she'll, pops up on the screen over here. Oh, Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> so, Jeremy, do you want to tell us, you know, how you got into um, writing your book, The Dwelling, you know, what inspired you to do that? Sure. Uh, <clears throat> the Dwelling is um, based off of true events. Um, you know, one of the unique things about this book is that um, every claim that I make in a book, I have either I have some kind of evidence to back it up, whether it's photographs, um, actual audio, or video. Um, well, let me start. I got into the paranormal field in um, late 2008. I think it was October of 2008. I was going through a divorce. Uh, I was really down on myself, and I happened to run across a cousin of mine that I hadn't seen in God knows probably since high school, so... Uh, you know, and he told me he was starting a paranormal team that I wanted to come on an investigation with him. And I was like, sure, you know, anything to get me out the house, you know, and, you know, kind of set my mind free for a little while. So I went, we went to this house. We actually found a realtor um, that we found this house that was for sale that a man had killed his family in the house, his entire family, and then he tried to sell. Um you know, we was up there in upstairs bedroom, and I was in the bathroom, and I said, is there anybody here? Could you make a noise for me? And sure enough, I heard a noise, but I thought, you know, maybe it was just my imagination. So I asked again and made a noise, too, and it scared the bejesus out of me, and I literally hurled over my cousin and ran out of the house in complete terror. But <laughs> after a few minutes, I realized it was one of the most scariest but yet most awesomest moments of my life, uh, and I was hooked. Um, then after that, we started a Facebook page back then, you know, in Louisiana. I think we were the only, uh, team as far as we knew back then. We started a Facebook page and I mean, it was one call after another. I mean, we come really popular, really fast with a lot of people. And we even got offered a local, a regional TV show, um, a station out of Hammond, Louisiana. Um, it was shown all across Louisiana, parts of East Texas, um, South Arkansas, uh, West uh, Mississippi. So, you know, we've done that for a year or two, and, I mean, things were great. We had great ratings. You know, we got a lot of popularity. And we ran. We got a call one day from a woman in a small, when you think a uh, cowboy town or, you know, nothing but farmers and, it may be a population of 300. Uh, we got a call from a lady that lived in a town that was called Mountain Herman. And uh, she said that she had went to the Myrtle's plantation and a demon followed her home. Well, she wanted us to come and investigate her house. And we explained to her that we were a TV show, that we really didn't do residential homes anymore. Um, but she kept persisting. So we decided to check it out and... Some of the events that transpired after that forever changed my life. 
Well, like in which way? I mean, uh, well, to... well, let's uh, let's go into the story. Um, the first the first time I ever seen her, we went to do a pre-interview. Um, we wanted to make sure because we really thought she was crazy. Some of the stuff she was telling us. Uh, so we went to go do a pre-interview that way. Hey, you know, we figured she was crazy. We didn't have to go through all the trouble of setting up the equipment and having the TV crew come in and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we arrived there that night, and first time I ever seen Joy, uh, she was she's about 80 pounds. I mean, she's a little bitty woman. She was suffering from Parkinson's disease. Um, she was a an RN nurse at the time, and uh, she told us that she and a a couple of her friends went to the Myrtle's plantation, and she was sitting on the back porch and captured an orb, uh, you know, and soon afterwards, she became obsessed with this picture, and the then an entity started um, contacting her youngest daughter, which at the time was like uh, three years old, and then it went from her 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 youngest daughter to the middle daughter. Um, and and eventually uh, gained possession of Joy herself. But what happened was, when we were there that first night, I remember she was talking to us and telling us what was going on. I remember her eyes turned black. I mean, as she was looking at me, her eyes turned pitch black for, you know, maybe a split second or two. Um, and I just kind of wanted to shrug it off that I was imagining things. You know, this woman was talking about demons and all this kind of crazy stuff. So I figured I was just, you know, seeing stuff. So I grabbed a K2 meter. And I was walking around the K2 meter going down the hallway, and where there's the master bedroom on the right side of the hallway, and then there's a huge uh, bathroom on the left. And on, a, on, a, on the wall, there's this huge mirror that goes all the way across one wall. It's a big double vanity sink. And uh, so I go to walk into the, the, the bathroom, which is directly across the hall from the master bedroom, and as soon as I make the turn to go into the bedroom, my, I mean, the bathroom, my K2 meter spikes. It goes all the way to red. Um, and, and it holds there for about five seconds. And anyone who knows or ever used the EMS detector, uh, you always know, for one, you turn the power off in the house if you're going to use one. So the power was off in that part of the house. Um, nevertheless, uh, you can take a K2 meter and hold it directly to a light socket. And sometimes it'll peg it out, but most of the time it'll just get it to that orange-red stage right before it gets to red. So that just goes to show you a little bit of how much energy it takes to peg this thing out. Well, it pegged out for, like I said, about five seconds, and then it went back to nothing. And then I happened to look up in the mirror, and behind me was standing, uh, I'm going to call him a man, you know, because that's how I saw him was as a man. He was about seven foot tall. And I, the reason I come up with seven foot tall is because the top of his head came right up to the door frame. Usually doors are seven foot tall. So uh, he was standing there. He was real, real skinny, uh, real, real tall. And, would you uh, would you say it was like kind of like a Slender Man type deal? You know, yeah, I get that a lot, the Slender Man. You know, re- yes, really and truly kind of yes. But yes and no for the fact that, at the time, I didn't know anything about the Slender Man at that time, but since then, I've done a little bit of research. Um, yeah, the resemblance of the Slender Man is, is a lot like uh, this entity was. His head was, he, he was bald-headed, and his head was kind of shaped like an egg, uh, you know, kind of like the top of his head kind of come to a little point round at top. The top of his head was skinnier than the bottom part. 
Um, he, as he was standing there, his arms come past his kneecap, so he had really extended arms. And his fingernails were twice. His fingers were twice the size of a normal person's finger. Now hmm. that was odd enough. But what really made him look odd was he had eyes. Okay, and that was it. He the rest of his face, his nose, his mouth. All of that was, it was just distorted looking. Uh, it kind of looked like craters, maybe. Uh, you know, like when they blur something out on TV or something. I mean, it was just blurry. You couldn't see it. it. It was missing. And I didn't know this at the time. But after I got into the part of becoming a demonologist and learning demonology, you learn that a demonic entity cannot take the perfect form of a human being. Okay? Uh, there's always something odd. Uh, one of the things they say is they may be half of a torso, or they may be missing an arm or a leg. Or okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you, halt you right there because I'm going to debate this whether they can uh, show themselves as a human being. Because uh-huh. me myself had always learned that a demon will come to you in the form of a child. Yes. Okay, they so can. yes, they they can form themselves into human beings. They could make yeah. you think it's your dead grandmother, you know, your aunt, your uncle, your mother, your father, yeah. whoever. You know, they're yeah, liars. Or this is yeah. why you have to be very careful. Exactly, but you have to also remember this. Uh, they can take the forms of human beings, but there is always something odd about them, okay? Now, something it, missing. Now, just because in my case where... You know, the whole face was distorted. I mean, it's not going to be that like that on every single incident that you have, okay? From all the all the cases that I've talked to that people claim, okay, my aunt or my uncle or whatever came to visit me. But I don't think it's my aunt or it's my uncle because there's just something that's not right about them. There's just something that is odd about them. I can't really put my finger on it, but there is something odd about that person. Okay, so there is always something in a, in a person's unconscious mind that is going to tell that person that, you know what, that is not who it is pertaining to be. All right, so, you know, as far as Catholic demonology goes, and, and I have to say this for myself, that the cases that I have taken to where there are, there are always something oddly about it. In other words, people will always say that there's just not something that's always you know, right with it. Now, as far as me personally, I've only actually seen one with my own eyes, and that was in that house. Okay. I'm going to have to do an EVP later on on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you hear it all that, huh? <laughs> yeah, what I do, is all I that noise? I have no idea. I mean, I have well, people I that too. like... Yeah, well, I'm glad everybody hears it, and I'm not crazy. No, <laughs> I just thought it was you your show. <laughs> I thought it was so just Scott, a radio show. No, Scott, what's your take on all this about... Um... They could take the form of anything about demonology, about, uh, demons. They could take the form of anything. I mean, uh, so... Uh, but there always is something weird about it, um, about about what you see. Um, it's not. It really can't explain. It. It's nothing like anybody's ever seen before. 
Yeah, well, I'd like to know what you find out at the end. If, if you guys could let me know. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to give away too much, you know, but I can go into the, you know, into the book that really correlates to what made me believe that it was a true demonic entity. Uh, you know, that being the first thing, you know, and I've read about that. Look, I've done a lot, a lot of research from a lot of different standpoints uh, because, you know, I was in a situation to where after I seen that, the team did decide to go back uh, and do another investigation. Um, you know, you you would be surprised that it was fairly quiet the night that we'd done the investigation, um, that you would think that a demonic entity, wow, you know, they'd be blowing down the doors, but actually it's quite different than that because, you know, they're they're fairly quiet and we had limited activity. Until you started saying uh, Bible verses and things like that, then the K2 meters and the EMF detectors and all that would, would go crazy. I mean, it would literally go berserk. Um, we done an EVP session in Joy's in, in the master bedroom, and we asked it what did it want. It said, kids, kids, kids. It repeated it three times. Now, I always remember this. They, he done everything in threes. Um, and then, you know, that also kind of goes back to, uh, you know, demons, uh, the sign of Trinity, which is three. You know, the devil's pinch fork has three forks on it. There's three knocks on the wall, 3 a.m. It's a mock against God. Um, so, and that happened. And then I remember I said, you know, you're a sick bastard or something like that. And it said, F you three times. Uh, so we packed up after that. That was about the only extent that happened that night was that uh, we packed on and we continued on doing other shows. Well, Joy would call me uh, a couple weeks later. I mean, frantic. <laughs> I mean, she was in a complete frantic. And she said that Jaina was under possession, which was her middle daughter. And I listened to the phone. I listened to it through the phone. And, you know, I heard it with my own ears. And she recorded it. I actually have the audio recording of it. Um, this is a nine-year-old child saying, this is my house now. This is my earth. This is my sanctuary. I'll never leave. You'll never deliver me. Um, you know, what nine-year-old kid says this stuff out of the blue, you know? Um, the two-year-old daughter, it would say things like, are you going to F me now? Uh, we actually have recordings of the entity talking to her youngest child saying this, and the child would say, are you going to F me now? You know, what two-year-old kid says this out of the blue, you know? No, I know of. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so all these things add up, okay? But the most part, more than anything, uh, that adds up is, you know, after that, I actually left the TV show because I wanted to help this family. I didn't know how. I didn't know anything about demonology. I didn't know anything about demons or anything like that. So I even tried going to church, uh, ministers. I went to a priest. Uh, He basically shunned me for being involved and told me he wasn't going to, you know, get into all of that. I went to a Baptist minister, same thing, no help there. So what do you do here? You have this woman and three girls that you know they're not crazy, you know what they're saying is real because you witnessed it with your own eyes and you heard it with your own ears. What do you do? Okay, that's where I was. What do you do? Nobody will help this family. Her own family put Joy in a mental institution because they thought she was crazy. 
She only stayed in a mental institution for 48 hours because she passed the psychological evaluation, okay? So they were only able to hold her for 48 hours. You know, her family didn't believe in her. Her husband knew what was going on, but her husband's the kind of person that, I'm a macho man, if I can't see it, you know, then I'm not going to acknowledge it because I don't know how to control that situation, you know. He's the type that always has to be in control of everything. Even though he knew things weren't right, he felt helpless. So, you know, he just kind of dodged it. And he was only home on weekends. He worked away. So he wasn't home during the week. Um, you know, I would go over there periodically and be with the family and, try to do house cleansings. I would go in the house, do EVPs, EVP work and stuff like that. Well, one night uh, I found a Pentecostal preacher that was going to come, and in his words, he was going to free her her demons. Uh, he was an arrogant guy, but, you know, I felt happy that, okay, well, we finally got somebody that's going to come, you know, woohoo, we're going we're gonna to get somewhere. So... Uh, I arrived at the house the day that he was coming about an hour earlier. I was in the house. I mean, I was just calling this thing out because it had a thing with me. It would call me a pig, and it would make oinking sounds and stuff. You know, I'm a bigger guy, so it was mocking me, you know. And, you know, I would kind of lash out at it. And the the preacher pulled up in the car. We was under a carport. And when he stepped out of the car and put his foot on the on the driveway, bam, he went straight to the ground, face first. Something threw him to the ground and pinned him down and held him there for about six seconds. Now, this is wow. a grown man that weighs 250 pounds plus, kicking and screaming like a baby at complete, utter fear, okay? He was in complete, utter fear, and so was I. I, w- I was terrified because I was in that house no more than 30 minutes early mocking this thing, calling it out, calling it a coward and everything else under the book. That could have been me on the ground. Well, yeah, well you're lucky it didn't attack you. Right. It, ne- it, you know, it never physically attacked me. It attacked me spiritually one time. But as far yeah. as a physical attack, it never physically attacked me. The only time it physically, well, you know, I take that back, but I wouldn't call it a physical attack. The first night that I seen him, when I seen him in the mirror, when I got home that night, I had three scratches on my back, which was, you know, the mark of Trinity. But that was the only time that I had had any kind of physical harm done to me. Now, when this, when I let this preacher up, he jumped in his car, he hauled ass, and he told her to never contact him or set foot in his church again. And she just dropped to the ground. And, and complete tears because, you know, look, what do you do, man? This thing's trying to kill her and her two children by this point. Um, it tried, you know, she, she was in three wrecks within a matter of, of three or four months, total three vehicles. You know, I mean, look, she was completely losing her marbles, you know. Um, so here's my thing. I started doing some research, and I don't want to give away too much because people really need to read the book because they want to know the emotional details and everything that happened. But I'm just kind of giving an overview here. Uh, I started doing research on my own, learning as much as I can, and certain things just did not add up to me. I thought either maybe she had a generational curse going on or something more that happened. I just couldn't figure out how a demonic entity would show up at her house, 
because there are three stages to a demonic haunting. You know, you have an infestation, you have an oppression, and then you have finally a possession. All right, and I couldn't figure this out because, for one, thousands of people go to the Myrtle's Plantation every year. Okay, it's no more than probably 80 miles from my house. Uh, and all of a sudden, this woman got a demon in her house from looking at a picture of what she claimed was an arm, but to me, it was nothing more than clearly dust. You know, um, it didn't make sense to me. So I get this phone call from her, um, and she, she she's in a, in a panic again because her youngest daughter was taking a shower, and now she has this big gash, this this red mark on her torso. So I tell her, Joy, take a picture of it and send it to me. So she takes a picture of it and she sends it to me. It is clearly the mark of a triton, the devil's pinch mark. It's a straight line that has a cross on the bottom as if it was an upside-down cross. And at the top, it comes out and it rounds off to three forks, three, three forks on the top, just like a pinch mark or a triton. So, you know, that is a satanic symbol. All right, that means that usually that mark means they made a pact with the devil. Now, you got to remember, this is a uh, nine-year-old girl. You know, how does she make a pact with the devil? One thing you wonder. Well, you know, what, what this thing was doing is, his goal was to get to joy, but what they try to do is they will use children. Usually they don't fully possess children, uh, but they will use them as a tool because their tool is to complete, you know, their goal is to completely destroy a family. Okay, they want to isolate the family. They want the family to become isolated because it makes it easier for them. They want to do everything they can mm-hmm. to tear down their target so that finally, you know, in the end they can gain access to this person. But the person has to invite them in first. They have to give them permission. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, it's simple. Finally, you just say, you know, just leave me, leave my family alone. Do whatever you want to do to me. Just leave my family alone. Well, there you go. You just gave this thing permission to do whatever it wanted to do. Um, so after that, I went to her house unannounced. Um, several things happened in between this time, but I'm not going to go into that. If you want to know that, you can read the book. Um, so I went to her house unannounced, and I sat her, I sat her down, and I said, Joy, here's the thing. This thing did not come from no Myrtle's plantation. There's something that you're hiding from me. You better let me know now. Because, for one, I can't help you if you don't completely tell me the truth. I have to know what this thing is and where did it come from. Well, that's when she tells me that about six years prior to that, she went on a church mission trip to Honduras. And if anybody knows anything about Honduras, they know that there are big-time worshipers of hoodoo down there, which is a version of voodoo, but it's much, much darker. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, she went on a, march, on a church mission trip, stayed there for a week. The last night they were there, she said there was two guys there within the town that were tour guides. Okay, they were very, very friendly. You know, they waited on hands and foot all week, made sure that the entire group ever need was met that they had. They offered to, the two guys offered to take her and another girl on a private tour of the town their last night there and show them some of the sights. Well, Joy being the naive person that she was, she said, okay. So the four of them set out to walk among the town that night, 
and it was Joy and one of the men and the other girl with the other man. Somehow they become separated, and it was just Joy and the man. And he said that she led her into what she described was a mud hut. She said it was a house made of mud and it had straw on the top. And whenever she went in the building, she knew she was in trouble because there was three other men in the room. No, there were two other men in the room, and there was a table. Well, they all three took turns raping her, and she was on her menstrual cycle while they'd done this. And they put markings on her body with her own blood while they were doing this. And later they told her that they were allowing demons to enter her body. But what do you do? She was just glad to get out of there alive. You're in a foreign country. Who do you call? Who do you tell this to? So she just went home, told her husband what had happened. They put it behind them. Well, see here, this is where it gets interesting. After returning home, small stuff would start to happen in the house. But they would play it off as Casper the Friendly Ghost. They even named it. You know, she said it was never harmful. It was just little small things. So this goes back to three stages of a demonic haunting. First, you have an infestation, which means that the entity is within the house. And oppression means that it has sought out its target. Third means that it has gained possession. You see, when she went to Honduras and this happened, this thing she had an infestation, which means it hung around. It laid dormant until she was at her weakest point. You see, because Joy was a very strong-faithed person, okay? They were deep Southern Baptists, and she lived by her roots of Christianity. Well, when she got Parkinson's disease, her spiritual beliefs started going down, okay? And then when she went to the Myrtle's plantation, she became obsessed with this orb. And when she did, she opened the doors wide open for this thing. And then that's what it started. It started going through its paces. You know, it would mess with the youngest child, then the middle child, and eventually her. So after she told me this, I knew that, you know, it was her. That when I seen her eyes turn black, that that thing, it was, she was actually possessed by this thing. I knew this at this point. That and other things that had happened. So... I said, look, an exorcism is going to need to be done, but I don't know how to do an exorcism. So I went home, and I found somebody who did. All right, and what we done was we actually went, and you would think the man would have known what he was doing because he told me that, you know, he's done several exorcisms before, which, you know, I don't believe he did. Um, we decided to take everything that she was wearing from Honduras and burn it. Uh, which was a big mistake. Like I said, I tell my mistakes. I put it out there. When As soon as we lit fire to those clothes and everything that she was wearing, a, a spark flew out of that fire and hit Joy in the back. Well, she went under full, complete demonic possession at that point. Me and her husband and the other guy held her down while he performed an exorcism. Now, me and Joy's husband are two big men. She's a little bitty woman. We were on our knees holding her arms down on the arms of the chair, and she was almost able to lift us up. She looks at me, 
Well, it looks at me because it's not her at this point. Have you ever seen anyone under possession? You'll always know those looks, and you'll always know those eyes when they hit you. It's something you'll never forget. It looks at me, and it starts laughing and mocking me and saying things about me that nobody knows except for me. You know, everybody has their little dark secrets in their past, things that they've done. They keep buried. Well, this thing will start throwing it out at you. So I'm trying not to look at her, you know, but at the same time, you can't help yourself as you're almost drawn in. Well, he starts doing the exorcism. Um, he pours it all down her throat. She vomits. She falls limp in the chair, waits a couple of minutes. She raises her head up. She has no idea what has happened to her. Last thing she remembers, we were burning clothes, and now she's sitting in the chair. She went to stand up in the chair, and she fell face first on the floor, busted her nose wide open. She was bleeding everywhere. Uh, you know, and then... After that, you know, here's the one thing that I learned through this. So after that, I sat down, I sat Joy down, and I explained to Joy that, Joy, this thing may possess your body, but it doesn't own your soul. Nobody owns your soul. You know, your soul is yours. It's a gift that God gave to you, okay? When you pray to God for help, do you say it full, or are you just praying as an empty shell? And she says, what do you mean by that? I said, well, think of it as love. If you tell somebody you love them, but you don't, you feel that emptiness in your heart and you're just saying it, for whatever reason it is you're saying it, it doesn't make it real. Same way when you're praying to God. You have to fill yourself with God's love, and God will answer your prayer. So we sat down there tonight because she, she was like, I, I get it. I, I get it now. And we prayed together, you know. And um, after that, I, I mean, I would say she was fine. So what we done was about two weeks went by. They didn't. They, she calls me and tells me she's selling the house. They're selling the house. The family's up and selling the house. Did I want to come? She wanted me to come and do one last investigation. So I got a psychic comedian to come with me, and uh, we was in the master bedroom talking. The medium asked if, if we could pray to the husband. The husband said yes. Um, through the recorder, EVP comes through and says, Mother Effers, leave now. You know, um, I have the audio, plain as day, one of the clearest EVPs I've ever heard. Um, so, you know, after that, they sold the house. But the, the, the case was so well known that they had to put, when they sold the house, that it was a haunted house. So what happened was the SPCA actually bought the house and turned it into a harsh sanctuary because, you know, it was, what, 15 or 20 acres of land. Uh, so nobody actually lives in the house now. Um, you know, I'd like to say that Joy's doing great now, even though that she's not possessed by this thing anymore. These things are kind of like smoke. You know how you get smoke in your clothes and it takes a while for that that smoke smell to get out of the fabric of your clothes? Well, it's kind of the same thing when you're dealing with an entity. Even though the entity's gone, there's still that. Okay, fabric. what the hell is all that rapping in the phone? I don't yeah, know. I have. Is that you? That ain't me. It ain't, that ain't, ain't me. me neither. I'm sitting well, in a quiet room. I'm sitting in a quiet room, too. Jeremy, it's obvious that somebody doesn't want you to tell this story. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, there it goes I get that a lot. You know, um, I get to travel around with ASAP, and I do a lot of uh, 
talk uh, speeches and stuff, a lot of times if I have psychics or mediums in the room with me, whenever I play the actual audio of Jane Under Possession, a lot of them have to get up and leave because it's so much, you know, that negativity is so strong in the room to where they can't even be in the room whenever I do it. So, you know, but look, you know, I'd like to say that her life is perfect now, but it's not. I mean, you know, she's going through a divorce. Her her oldest daughter, Jana, still suffers from the events that happened. They had to move because the kids would pick on them at school because the case was so well known. But, you know, through it all, you know, Joy's faith within herself, she's a very strong woman. And I would say if there's one person in this world that's going to make it through it, it would be her. So, you know, I wrote the book because I I really didn't care whether I sold one copy or a million copies. I just wrote the book because I want people to know that it's real, that it can happen, that it's not just something that you see in the movies or whatever, that, you know, things like this can't happen to everyday people. That's why it is important to live your life as positive as you can. You know, well, fortunately, you there's too many unbelievers. Right. Too many unbelievers. Yeah. Just people just don't believe it. They don't want to believe it. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, you know, after that case, um, I stepped away from the paranormal for a while because um, I was introduced to a side that I didn't like. Um, but another case found me. Um and then another case found me, and then they were all these type of cases, you know, and, you know, it was kind of like it found me that I didn't find demonology and, and doing malevolent cases. I mean, it found me. So, you know, I learned everything that I possibly could. I learned under some great mentors. I had some great people mentor me. Uh, you know, i become a member of, actually, I'm a board member of, of uh, Dominion Ministry, um, you know. So it's... It's just one of those courses that I went down, and, and like I say, I don't regret it, but if I can go back, I would have never got involved with it because, you know, once you get into this kind of work, it's, it's always there. Even if I decide to get out of the paranormal, I still have to be aware of my surroundings because these things know who you are. You know, they exactly. don't forget. They wait for exactly. revenge. Exactly. You, once you went through that first case, they're not going to forget who you are. Oh, no. You couldn't get away if you wanted to. Exactly, and you want to know something that I've learned past that, that these entities, the same entities, they have a way of finding you. Okay, you you, oh, yeah. you successfully cast it out of this person, so it's going to possess somebody that could be 300 miles from you, and somehow you're going to get a phone call from that person. That thing is going to lure you back into that house to try to get revenge on you for doing it the first time. Yep. Oh, how, Scott, how well do you know that? Oh, I know it firsthand, trust me. Trust me, I know firsthand. <laughs> we're doing a case in New York, and the same demon that was a case I did in Connecticut five years prior ends up finding me and Judy in New York, Long Island. And it wasn't a pretty one, shall I say. Yeah. And now you have to go back? No, no. As far as we know, oh. so far we don't have to go back. Thank God. But if we do, we do, you know, nothing we can do about it. Well, you know, I'll tell this little quick story. Just to kind of let you all know how, how dangerous it can be. Uh, the same entity that we cast out of joy, uh, I would say two years later, 
I got a call a call from a woman in uh, Mississippi, Biloxi, Mississippi, that uh, claims she had a demonic entity. So we went. Um, I done a couple of things, you know. For one, look, when it, you have to be very careful because people can have mental issues. You have to make sure they're not bipolar, uh, you know. So you got to you got to know a lot of stuff. And um, my Home fiance drugs. is <laughs> right. My fiance is an EMT, so she has a uh, a medical background. Uh, she also works in ER at the hospital, local hospital here. So I bring her with me, and she kind of evaluates these people. Well. What I done was, I tried to trick him. So what I done was, I would talk to him and I made him go outside and I told him I'm gonna bless the house because I don't want him in the house when I do it because I want to control the environment. Uh, you know, I don't want any mixed signals going there. I want to be able to portray positive energy. Um, so I noticed she didn't have any shoes on. So I took holy water and I put it on the floor where her feet was, and I waited for it to dry before I let him back in the house. I let her back in the house, and as soon as she sat down, she grabbed her feet and said her feet was burning. That blew me away. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. You know, we're sitting there, and, I, and she starts explaining this thing to me, and she says, well, I said, well, what does it look like? Well, he's about seven foot tall. His head is shaped like an egg. He has really long arms. And I tell you, I like to die of a heart attack right then and there. I was like, you've got to be shitting me. I look, I, I was scared. I ain't gonna lie, I was terrified. So I was like, okay, well, you know, a deliverance is going to be needed here. Because she was saying that there was times when her boyfriend uh, would say that she would just have a period of 15 to 20 minutes where she just becomes somebody else and goes into these violent outbreaks and tries to kill him strangle him and everything else. Well, I decided to do a deliverance, and it was him and her. I said, I'll be here in a couple of weeks to do it. Well, I would say two days later, he called me in the front. He said, look, Jeremy, things got really bad last night. You know, it got really bad. She tried to kill me, and I said, well, I'll be there tonight. What time did you get off? He said, well, I don't get off work till 9 o'clock. And uh, I said, okay, well, I'll be there when you get there. So we... And uh, we got there about 8 o'clock. You hear that, huh? What was that? I, I lost everything. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I started. I, I made him leave because he was very agitated when he walked in the door that night. He, he was sitting at the table and he's like, Jeremy, I don't know why, but I just I hate your guts right now. I just want to get up and punch you in the face. And I'm like, look, man, it's trying to influence you. Just look at me. Look in my eyes. Stay with me, okay? And he's like, okay. And he's sitting here sweating, repeating. I mean, just sweating like crazy. So I decide I'm going to do the deliverance, and I'm like, look, you're not acting right. I don't want you in here when I'm doing this because if you attack me while I'm trying to deliver this thing, you know, it's not going to be good. I, I can't just stop, you know. I got to go through with it. So I made him go outside, and I locked the door. Well, I started doing a deliverance. Halfway through the deliverance, she went acting really weird. I mean, she started foaming at the mouth, you know, talking in other languages, cursing me, calling me a pig, just like the other one did in the, in the book. I mean, you know, the it was calling me a pig. It was mocking me. And I knew exactly where I was because I had been there before. And finally, I was able to deliver her, and this thing mocked me because whenever it come out of her, it passed through me. 
Okay, it was as if a bunch of needles just hit my body all at one time and penetrated my skin. It walked through me, and after it was done, I opened the door to let the boyfriend back in. He's got a gun in his hand. He has a loaded 9mm pistol in his hand. He starts to raise it. He starts to raise it to point it at me, and I just slightly put my hand on it, and I lowered it, and I said, God, please don't do this. And he looks at me, and he finally he takes it, and he gives it to me. And I, set, I unload it, and I set it on the table. And he told me all he knows is he was outside smoking a cigarette, and he felt a gust of wind go by him, and all of a sudden a voice told him to grab a gun, load it, and blow my effing brains out. So, you know, that was my first deliverance that I ever done. And it was one of the most scariest. But, you know, this goes to show you the point of me telling you all this is to let you know how dangerous it is. You're not only fighting, you know, a spiritual realm here. You're fighting a physical realm. Things can go wrong. Very quick, people can die. You know, you have to be prepared when you do these kind of things. Absolutely. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I mean, look. So now I have a crew that goes with me. I have my fiance and have two other men that go with me. And we're all three ordained ministers. Um, And what I do is I have one that kind of, if I have to do a deliverance, um, you know, he kind of stands guard because, you know, that's something that I always remember. I don't want to die. You know, I want to live another day. So, you know, I try to get as much protection as I possibly can. Well, good for you. Um, it takes special people to do what you can do. Yeah, not everybody you know it would does. do that. It not, does, and not I have just, to say, it, it's, it's one of those things to where it has to choose you. I don't think that it's something that you decide to choose, the path that you decide to take. I think it has to pick you. God chooses his people to, to help fight this, this spiritual war for him. And I think it takes a real special person to actually do that. Well, I was told by a very, very special man as he was laying there on his deathbed that I would be like him someday. And I said, no, I won't. Not on your life. And actually, well, hence Scott, what happened? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it happened. Well, what was he? What was he like? Um. The per- the man that told me that happened to be Ed Warren. Oh, and I he, knew Ed. He, yeah. He he told me I was going to be like him someday. And I said, but no, I'm not. Not on your life. <laughs> uh-uh. Yeah, well. And you ended happened. up doing what he does. Yep. Well, good for you. Yeah, Good that's what you. I say. It, it, it chooses you. You don't choose it, you know. Yep. And like like people always tell me, you know, they read the book and they're like, oh, my God, I want to do what you've done. You know, I want to get into demonology and stuff like that. And I always tell them, look, no, you don't. You don't want to do this. Trust me. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, people's going to do their own path. They're going to do what they want. And all I can do is tell them the dangers of it, you know. And, too, like I try to explain to them, doing those, doing those type of cases is a lot different than doing ghost hunts. I mean, you can do one location one night and do another location the next night. Well, when you deal with these type of cases, it's not like that. I mean, you just don't go in, bam, 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 and it's gone. 
I, it takes time. You know, you have to go to that location several times. You have to counsel the family. You know, you have to determine what you're dealing with because, uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is try to, you know, do a deliverance or something like that on somebody that's bipolar or something like that. So you have to be able to diagnose all of these things. You know, you have to know psychology because you have to really get into someone's head because here's one of the things that I learned. Um, true demonic hauntings are very rare, and I say that, and I mean what I say. They are very rare. Most of the calls that I get is this. Okay, I think I have a demonic entity uh, in my house. Well, you start digging into this person's background, and you learn that they have a very turbulent life. <clears throat> they have a lot of negativity surrounding their life. They take all this negativity, and they bottle it up inside. And negativity is going to feed off of negativity. And once it gets so big... That energy just starts spewing out, okay, around this person. And that negative energy takes on a life of itself. It actually becomes an entity. It's not a demon per se, but it is a very negative energy. And they will have symptoms of hauntings in their house. Things will move. Things will happen to them, you know. They'll have bite marks or whatever it may be, you know, but it is not a demonic entity. And like I try to explain to these people, you have the power to get rid of this thing. You have to release all that negative energy. You know, if, if, if you and your mother haven't spoke for years because y'all have this ter- terrible relationship, call her up out of the blue. Tell her you forgive her for whatever she done. Forgive people that you've been holding this negative grudge against all these years. Release all of that stuff, and it'll stop. Change your lifestyle. Start leaving a positive lifestyle. You know, you have... You have the abilities within yourself to change all that. You know, we're not doing magic here to where we can snap our fingers and make it all better. We can help you, but if you don't change the way you live, it's not going to do any good. It's going to come right back. I have a saying, once you're touched by evil, it's never far behind. And I find that to be true. Well, do you find that when you enter a demonic home, that sometimes you absolutely find nothing the first few times because they don't want to be found out. They want people to look like a fool. Yep, that is one of the ways of knowing that you're possibly dealing with a demonic case. If you go into a house and it is eerily quiet, always keep in the back of your mind, hmm, there must be something here. Look, here's my thing. I always go into a house and I try to prove that it is not a demonic entity. I don't go into a house to try to prove that it is. I actually do the exactly. opposite. Exactly. I go into a house and try to prove that it's not. Well, here's the thing. When we went to New York, to Long Island, I'm an empath and a sensitive. I walked into the house. I felt absolutely nothing. Yeah. And I had my first encounter with the beast outside. Yes, I hope it was outside. outside. No, it was in the client, but she was sitting outside. Right. Oh, I see. Let me ask y'all a question. Both of y'all really mm-hmm. seem to have the background on this kind of case. Have you ever been in a situation where you was in a house that you believed that was truly demonic? And if you were doing a, a deliverance or whatever, getting ready to, the, this entity would jump. It would jump from one person to another. I mean, it would literally just start jumping. Well, this, all is, over. What happened, this is what happened down in Log Island. This thing was jumping in her and out of her, in her and out of her. 
the whole time we were there. We were there eight right. hours with her. Right. And it just kept them jumping in and out of her. Yeah. yeah, I dealt with that in a case in Arkansas we went to where, actually, um, we had a medium with us. Her name is Mandy. Um, she, the girl was young. She was too young to do a deliverance. So what she done was she was going to actually go in to try to pull this thing away from her. So she set the girl down. And she started describing this beautiful place to this this young girl. I'd say she was about nine years old, maybe. Uh, and the girl would sit there and close her eyes, and Mandy would take her to this beautiful place, and she was describing this place. Well, meanwhile, Mandy ended up going under possession. And it took us three hours to get this thing out of the medium. And the whole time we were there, this child sat in that seat with her eyes closed and was completely in peace why chaos was going on in the room, and it would jump. There was three other demonologists there, and it literally jumped to all three, but it never jumped into me. And that's one thing I always wondered about is why it never why it never jumped to me. I mean, I'm happy that it didn't. It's because, me, of, your, it's because of your faith and your belief in God. I, I believe that. That is the let, reason why. Let me tell you I how know. I prepare for these. I'm going to tell you how I prepare for these types of cases. Um, you know, a lot of people, sometimes you come across people that don't really believe in God as, as, as an actual being. I do. I mean, I want to state that right now. But what I try to tell them is think of God as positive energy. Think of God as a brilliant, bright light, and God is the core of that brilliant, bright light. You know, think of the one thing that makes you more happier than anything in the world, that brings you the most joy. Feed that energy in yourself. What I use, I use love. What greater positive light is there than love, okay? So I will I'll sit there and prepare myself by just feeling this love being drawn into my body from around my surroundings, and I'll psych myself out, man. I'll even make myself cry out of happiness. You know, I really psych myself up for this. And when I get myself to that point, you know, I am completely filled with positive energy through love is what I use. And I feel that that makes me pure of heart in a way. As crazy as that sounds, I feel that they're not able to get to me quite as much because I'm pure of heart. Just like Joy. In Joy's case, I done it because of my love for her and those, those three girls. I didn't do it for my own gain. I didn't do it for anything. I left a TV show for them. So that should tell you a lot. You know, so I use love. And that thing physically attacked other people, but it never physically attacked me other than the first time I saw it. And the first time I saw it, was uh, there was nothing but fear, complete fear there, you know. So that, that's my ritual. That's what I do. I know a lot of different people do a lot of different things. And I feel that whatever works for that person is what they should do. But in my case, that's what works for me. Well, I've been learning a lot about trying to get faith in God. I mean, true faith in God, you know, for protection. And I'm getting better at it, you know, a lot better at it. But am I perfect? No. No, nobody's perfect, you know. But you know what? I'm still here. (laughs) I'm still here. Nobody walking this earth is perfect. And we have Bill on the phone. We've got Bill that joined us on the phone. Hello, Bill. How are you? Good hey, Bill. How are you? Good. How are you? 
Oh, look, though, I'm good. Now, one thing I want to touch on, like Tony was saying, um, when you deal with cases like this, obviously my beliefs and my things go a different direction than what Jeremy does. Um, but, you know, when you go into cases like this, whether it be a demonic, which, you know, he's right, it's very, very, very but a lot of you have a lot of the uh, malevolent stuff. And the game is protection. You know, like Jeremy was saying, he does his thing, but that's one of the biggest things you got to do in this field protection um, all the way around. I I agree with that. You have to, you know, um, this, this last case that we went on, I had a St. Benedict bless St. Benedict uh, medal on. So I, I did have the protection there. Um, I do have my faith in God. So, I mean, the only thing that the only person that the thing was after was Scott. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. It's always got to pick on somebody, don't it? Yes, it does. And usually well, it picks the weakest <clears throat> Now, which Josh, bill is this? Is this the bill I know or the bill I don't know? As you know me, Carrie. Okay. Hey, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You know who it is. <laughs> yes, but you don't need to shake my hand no more. <laughs> that's, 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 it's a little that's, joke. We, we, we won't get into that. <laughs> okay. So what's a Cajun demonologist? Well, Cajun, well, I'm from Louisiana. I'm actually about 30 miles north of New Orleans. Uh, I don't think I'd be more country demonologist than anything, but Cajun demonologist is a name that was given to me, and it just kind of stuck, so I started going with it. Okay. Oh, so don't tell me you eat crawdads and all that crap, do you? Oh, yeah, girl, I'll eat some crawdads. Don't get me hungry over here now. <laughs> I can go to the coffee. <laughs> I just had to ask. I'm sorry. We got crawfish. You got turtle soup down here. Look, we eat it all. We don't let nothing go to waste. I don't eat nothing that comes out of the water. (laughs) Me neither. Me neither. (laughs) I just went and ate me some crabs Friday Friday night. I went to a restaurant down here that has a... Ball of crabs. They didn't have no crawfish because it's out of season, but boy, I sure ate me some crabs. Oh, aren't you just so proud of yourself? <laughs> I was. I was trotting on up in there, boy. They, they saw me coming from a mile away. <laughs> so, how is your book doing, do you know? Uh, the book? I, got, uh, the I book? know I got one. I ordered yeah, it. The, the book is doing, you know, fairly well to my surprise. Um, you know, actually, like I said, I didn't really write the book. I didn't care whether I sold a copy or not. I just wanted a story that I wanted to tell. I just wanted it to be out there. Uh, Joy, the woman that was involved in the case, she also written a book about it. It was called, she's, her version of the book is called Out of the Darkness. Um, hers has been out for about about a year. Uh, what makes my book different than hers is her book, even though the events are the same, is told from two completely different point of views. Her book is told more on a spiritual level. Um, her discuss with God, if you will, for letting this happen to her and how she lost her faith and why she, and with her losing her faith is what allowed a lot of this to take place. 
my book talks more about the actual physical hauntings than hers does. The event. But, yeah. you know, in retrospect, you put the two books together, you really, really get the full circle. Oh. Uh, I was going to jump in it for a second. You know, you know, Jeremy's talking about his book. You know, obviously, I got it. I've read it. Uh, and it is coming down for you to sign it, bro. Um, it's a really good read. Um, it's, it's a real, real good read. Um, you can tell it's from the heart. Um, best part about it, it's true. Um, it's a true event that happens. Um, it is, it's, it's, it's not a long read. Uh, you can, uh, it's a good read. Yes, it is. Yeah, actually, whenever I was writing the book, I thought the book was going to be freaking huge because it took me almost a year to write it, but it's only about 78 pages long, but you know what? That's all I really needed because the way I tell the story uh, the story comes from my heart, you know. I don't build myself up to be this indestructible person that triumphed over evil. That's not how I portray it. I actually tell it the way it is. I put my mistakes in there. I put the things that I've done wrong. I let people feel the hopelessness that I had because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I really put it all out there, you know, because I want people yeah, to understand you that, were at a you know, we are time at the time. Right. When you first, yeah, when you got into it, you were at a really low place. Yes, I was. I was going through a divorce. Um, You know, I even contemplated taking my life at one time. And then I got into the paranormal field. Now, you know, as weird as it sounds, the paranormal field gave me a second chance at life. And I'm not talking about the the demonology part. I'm talking about just the ghost hunting part. The TV show, you know, it gave me another life. I mean, it was something that I absolutely loved. And I was good at it. You know, that was the thing that got me is I was good at it, you know. I just, I was good in front of the camera because I have a bubbly personality and, you know, people were drawn to me because of that. And, you know, I got a lot of attention because of it. And, you know, I appeared on different TV shows. I was on a show called Swamp Monsters. Um, I was on a show called When Ghost Attacks. I was on a show by the Weather Channel called American Supernatural, The Voodoo Hurricane, The Curse of Julia Brown, which is a documentary we done about a year ago. So, you know, and I got contacted by a producer, what, Tuesday in California. They're interested in doing a show. You know, they, they've heard my story. They read the book. They're interested in possibly doing a show. Well, like I explained to them, you know, I can't see clients that are dealing with these type of issues that would want to have their self on TV, you know. Thank you. (laughs) You know, so, you know, I don't know how you would go with that. But, you know, if you found a way to go with that, I wouldn't do it unless I had say-so on how it was portrayed because I don't want the show to be portrayed as some nut job. I want the show not to be only entertainment purposes. I want it to be a learning tool more than anything. So, you know, I don't know where that's going to go with that, and I'm not really concerned about that. But, you know, you get these things a lot. So, you know, you just kind of deal with it. But there's there's also a talk show that me and Joy both are in the process of going through. I'm not going to say on the air because I can't say it publicly yet, but it's a real well-known talk show. So, you know, they want to talk about the book and stuff like that. So we'll see how that goes. And whenever I get the green light that it's actually going to happen, I'll make the announcement. But, uh, you know, look, my main thing is I just want to help people. 
And, you know, I never take credit for myself because let's say if I, I do a deliverance on somebody, it's not me doing it. You know, it's it's God or whatever positive energy, you whatever you want to call it, using my body to do their work. You know, it's not me that's doing it, and I don't take credit for it. So, you know, that, that, that's where I'm at with that. And, and, too, when you deal with these type of cases, it's not like ghost hunting. When you deal with a real bad case, it takes time for you to heal spiritually after these types of cases. Uh, sometimes it may take a month or two. You know, you can't take on another case until you're completely mentally and, and uh, spiritually healed or you're asking for trouble. Right, right. You know, Jeremy, one thing you haven't mentioned about, you know, talking about, you know, who you are, what you are, um, I can tell everybody to, to check out uh, Everybody Knows Best. If you want a good laugh, I want to find out what this guy really is. Everybody knows best. <laughs> All right, yeah. Well, yeah, Bill's got a point. I can't, I can't let that go. Jeremy Knows Best is something that I do on Facebook. I just randomly say stuff about everyday events that most people only think, but I just say it out loud. And I feel myself doing it, and people absolutely love it. I think I got more fans on the Jeremy Knows Best thing than I do the actual um, ghost hunting aspect of my life. People seem to just love that. And if I don't put one out ever so often, I'm constantly getting uh, private messages. Hey, when are you going to do another Jeremy Knows Best? And I'm like, look, it just has to come naturally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a very bubbly personality, you know. And one one thing that I can say is whenever I take on a case, my clients completely have 100% faith in me. Um, I just had that persona to where people feel really comfortable with me right away. And they're, they're able to really open themselves up to me um, that they can't open themselves up to many people, but they seem to be able to open themselves up to me. And, you know, I think that's also part of the success uh, on doing these type of cases because they are opening themselves up to you, and they have complete faith in you. And if they have complete faith in you, that's what? That's positive energy, and that means they're opening themselves up to you so you're able to uh, push that positive energy up on them. So, you know, that's a plus. Well, well it's easier to open up to a stranger than to a friend. A friend yeah, is going to think yeah, you're, you're not. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But you have to trust. You know, Jeremy, you're right. You, you know, when you walk into a client's place, and you know me, I've been to how many. And, and that is probably one of the most important things about any case that we do is that the client has faith in you. Um, they have to work in and have to have faith in you. If they don't, you, you stay there for, for three days and nothing's going to happen for you because the client exactly. has faith it's brutal that what you're turning around and doing. Absolutely. Yeah, so wow. you know, I tell any I tell anybody that's listening, look, if you're curious, you wanna know what it's like I mean look, if you seen Andy DeVille horror, okay, you say, Oh wow, you know, that's what it's like. I, I, I would encourage you to get my book. Read it. It may not be exactly what you think it may be. Read it. Find out what it's like. Find out the type of things that happen. Find out the emotions that people go through, you know, and it will give you a better insight on your own spirituality. Whatever well, I tried it may to be. find books at one time to try to help my situation, and, and I couldn't find anything, so I gave up. I'm like, well, this isn't what I experienced, so what are they lying? Or just entertainment. You know, it's hard well, to tell. you know, I don't know. You know, everybody has their own 
reasons why they write a book. But like I stated before, the one thing I could say about this book here that I wrote, everything that I mentioned in this book, I have some type of evidence to back it up. And I believe you. I to- I totally believe in your story and what and what your book says. I believe you, and I'm sure a lot of people out there do. It's yeah, well written. It's what you said. You know, it's it's it was perfect. Well, thank you very much. You know, that means a lot. Here's the thing: if I can have somebody read my book to come out a little bit more positive about things after they read the book than before they read the book, then I felt I've done my job. If I've helped them in some small way dealing with their everyday lives, well, you know, then everything that I went through to try to write the book is worth it to me. You know, I was able to touch someone in a small way. Well, yeah, you book does something else, too. Yeah, book does something else, too, Jeremy. If people do read the book and you get people, like you were talking earlier, about curiosity about getting into it, you know, be, you know, I said I've been in the field for a long time. No, everybody says, you know, I can handle this. I can turn around and do this. And how many stories have we heard where you have teams go out and investigate and something malevolent comes along and they grab their equipment, put their tails between their legs and run out and leave clients and, you know, in limbo. You know, if, if somebody turns around and reads it and maybe puts a little fear into them, um, that may eliminate a lot of that stuff because, you know, we all know we're in the paranormal field. There's a lot of baloney and a lot of garbage going on out there. Uh, but your book keeps it kind of real. Um, you know, well, somebody... I, I tell you, I tell you something, Bill, you're saying about somebody putting their legs, their tail between their legs and running. Um, I had somebody that was on my team like years ago and, uh, we had gone to a cemetery one night and, uh, he ended up running. He was running so fast, he ran into me, and I'm like, where are you going? He says, I'm getting out of here in a hurry. I'm not running. I'm like, really? No matter where I <laughs> took this person to, that's all he did was run. Yeah. That's you know? That's well, I wouldn't take him anywhere else again. <laughs> oh, no, believe me, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, that's, that's the type of people we don't need in this, you know. You know, the people who deal in, in the in the darker side of the paranormal, you know, it, it, you know honestly, it takes a lot of balls for us to go out and turn around and do it. You know, and, you know it's like, you know, Jeremy, myself, uh, even the, the ministry, you know, we that's what we want to do. I mean, we want to turn around and help people. We'll go in and deal with that because, you know, we, we, we have a feeling. We know We know it's a calling. I'm not going to say that something you just walk into and go do. It's a calling for all of us. Um, you know, we're the type of people that go in because you know, even though you may get a little fear into it, we know how to control the fear and to handle what's going on. So, um, well, I'll tell people. you guys what. Bill walked into my house and he knew exactly what was going on. Exactly where and what, didn't you? Yeah. You, you're, you're good. I have to hand yeah, it to I, you. You're very good. Thank you. You know, yeah, even I'm, me being I'm, a psychic, I couldn't handle it because I don't do what you do. Uh, I, I, mean, I can't you, you know, it. You, you talk I about psychics. You talk, y'all talk about psychics. You know, here's one of my things. I take the fact that I absolutely have no psychic ability. Um, I, I think that's a good thing in my case when you deal with these type of hauntings, you know, because it's kind of a shield. I mean, you have somebody that 
has psychic abilities that go into these type of situations, this entity can really get inside their mind, you know, and start messing with their mind. And the fact that I don't have those abilities, you know, that's kind of a a, a, a shield, in, you know, in my opinion, that I have that actually, you know, kind of deters some of that because they're not able to get into my mind. Well, that's but, really good. Well, well that's, that's, when, that's when the psychic or medium or what have you, even for myself being an empath and sensitive, you have to learn how to put up a... a a wall there, so that yeah, they can yeah. try yeah. to block through that. You know, yeah, now the thing that we were dealing with, if I didn't have a wall on and I didn't have protection, yeah, it could have very easily gotten to me. Yeah. You know, but I wasn't letting it. I was, I was, damned that the thing was going to stay there. Right. Yeah. You know, there was just now, have no you guys way. Ever, have you guys ever went into a house and not been able to help the family? Never. The, yeah, only, house, yeah. the only house that um, I actually went into, it was the house was up for foreclosure and the, the people had already left the house. And uh, unfortunately, the spirit is still in that house. He's an angry spirit, but he's still in that house and nobody could live in that house. Uh, over six months. A new family had bought it. Um, I had contacted the new family. Well, they actually contacted me because I had the house up on my website and uh, asked me to take it down, and they, they had told me what was going on in the house. And next thing I know, they moved out. They started renting the house out. They couldn't keep renters in there. Now the house is under foreclosure again. And, I mean, you just this this particular spirit is determined to stay in this house, and he's not leaving, and no matter what you do, he's just not going. He's a very, very wow. angry spirit. I mean, you would actually think it was a demonic spirit. I was going to say, was, was it demonic? House. No, he's not. It's a human spirit, but he's a very, very angry spirit. He was angry and bitter during his whole life, and he's, you know, that's the way he is. And I mean, not anyone else live there. That's there you go. That's a malevolent. Yeah, and, and two that that just comes from doing your research. You know, whenever you take on these kind of cases, you have to really figure out: Are you dealing with, you know, an earthbound spirit that's very angry, or are you dealing with something else? You know, you have to determine all of these things to really figure out what you're doing, in order to help the thing. <coughs> Sorry in order to help the family. Exactly. Well, I mean, I offered the new the new people that own the house when they first moved in, I offered to go over there and bring my team back over there and help them out with this. And they said, no, well, we'll see what happens and if we can deal with it. And, you know, they they just ended up moving out. And um, like I said, the house what, was empty. Idiots? Well, I, I guess so. I, you know, I really guess so because uh, they had no clue with what they were dealing with. The, the the person that's in the house, that's haunting the house, he hates women and children. So, I mean, you can't have women and children in that house. It's ridiculous. That's wow. People who see it, feel it, and don't denial. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
I mean, well, myself, I, call me crazy, but I would love to live in that house. Well, huh. then buy it. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could. I wish I had the money to buy it. <laughs> Believe me, I would buy it. <laughs> I would turn oh. it into a haunted bed and breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I just oh, my Lord. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> You wouldn't really do that, would you? Yes, I would. I would Are put it in a haunted bed and breakfast. Trust me, she would. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I, I, I got to get to know you, girl. You, you, you make me laugh. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, well I, mean, I, I'm know that, I know the whole up. history of that house. So. Oh, really? Yes. I know wow. where the whole family comes from, where they originated from, what happened to them, and, you know. Well, don't tell me anything, but what state is this in? <laughs> it's, in it's in Connecticut. It's in Connecticut. You know, why does everything seem to happen in Connecticut? <laughs> uh, because well, Con- Connecticut was here, like, during the Revolutionary War, and when the Tories were here, and all the other wars, and... The uh, Underground Railroad uh, happens to run through here, you know, so. Well, Pennsylvania's pretty bad, too, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, more and more cases wow. are coming, coming up on us now here. Yeah, you seem to have more and more uh, true, you know, malevolent cases. They just seem to pop up more and more. You know, nowadays, I mean, if you go back 10 years from now, uh, I would say, you know, it's it's increased. I mean, it's, it's, it's skyrocketed. I mean, you used to only would have maybe one or two actual cases a year. Now, you know, it seems like you have four to five or six a year, you know, and I think it's only going to get worse. And, you know, I think that a lot of it has to do with, you know, the way this world is going now. I mean, you got to really think about it. We are living in the devil's playground, you know. Well, it's, so, it's all has yeah. to do with the spiritual warfare too, you know. And oh, then yeah. every, it seems like every call you get, people are saying, you know, there's a demonic entity in my house. Most you know, definitely. you never got that years ago. Right. Well, a lot of a lot of, a lot of it comes down to you know if you if you turn around and you think about it on a kind of a realistic issue on it. You know, in that be more acceptable saying that you know, there's a haunting or something like it was more than like 10 years ago. You know, as much as I dislike all the paranormal shows, one thing that it did was bring a lot of it to the foresight. Um, and, and people are becoming, um, you know, my personal feeling is people are becoming a little bit more willing to uh, to discuss it and bring it out to the public, bring it out, bring it out to the open. That it was yeah, like there that. might have been yeah, there might have been a lot more, just nobody knew about it. They didn't talk yeah, about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I think back a long time ago, if you ever talked about something like the paranormal, you were deemed as being nuts. No. Really? <laughs> of course. Well, yeah, no, yeah, I think like me, I'm deemed as being nuts half the time too. So, you know what? At, at, at 56 years old, I don't really care. You know, believe me, I know, don't believe right? me. Right. <laughs> I don't care. I don't <laughs> I just care what don't people care. think either. Nope, I don't anymore. I used to. I'd cry and cry, and now it's like, you know what? I've already proved to you time and time again, and you still don't believe me? Just go away. Go away. 
I don't need you in my life. Well, Scott, do you have anything to add to this? Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Tonight has a lot of history. And, uh, I mean, where did people, they came over here, and this is one of the first places they landed. So, of course, it has a lot of history. Um, a lot of good history and a lot of bad history, you know? Uh, but it seems like Connecticut is one of the states and has one of the most uh, active states in the union. So, I mean, why that is, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. Yeah, it just it seems like every time you hear about something, it's always in Connecticut. <laughs> it's like, wow. I don't ever want to move there. I have enough problems. I ain't moving there. <laughs> no. Can I get no, no, no. State? Well, I, that's what I've heard, but I wouldn't live there. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. No. Does any of y'all live there? I live in Connecticut. Scott lives in <laughs> Connecticut. Yep. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, I think me personally, I would rather live in Connecticut than I would Pennsylvania. I, I just can't see rooting for the Philadelphia Eagles. I, that would that would just completely destroy me. Don't be mean, brother. Don't be mean. You know, the Muddy Green took over the black and gold. Don't be upset about it. <laughs> well, there, there's not too much positive that I can say about the black and gold right now. It just bottles. It just can bottles my mind. Uh, I just, I, I'm all about ready to give up on them. You never give up on your home team, bro. No, I can't. But I sure, I just maybe if I talk bad about them, it might make me feel a little better. <laughs> well, Ray, well, I'm actually a Titan fan. <laughs> Jeremy, if you're uh, pretty well. Set there on promoting your book on the show. Um, we could end the show early tonight. I know Scott's not feeling good. So, oh, um, I'm sorry. Oh, no. I've been not feeling well for a while. Nothing you can do about oh. it. You know, I hate getting sick. It's like it was 80 degrees here the other day. Now it's like 40. <laughs> so. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I am so sorry. Hey, what are you well, do, huh? if you're able to rewind and see what that EVP was, I would like to, if y'all figure oh, it out. I'm going to download. I'm going to download the show, and I will be going through it because uh, something well, kept coming. Well, you got my number. I want to know what was back. said. I, I don't know have <laughs> actually. I don't have your number. If you'd like to look me up on Facebook, you're more than welcome to. I don't even know uh, your name. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Is it like or something? I can get it from Bill. I can get it from Bill. You have it, right? Bill has it. Okay. Yeah, he's got my number, too, and so does Jeremy. Well, I think Jeremy has my number, but I know Bill does, for definite. All right. So, yeah, well, if you come up with anything, wanna... let me know. I'm curious. <laughs> All right, I will do that. And I want to thank you, Jeremy, for being on the show. Bill, thank you for coming on. And Carrie, thank you. And all You're the people welcome. in the All the people in the I wanted to offer my I wanted to offer my support to him. You know, that's uh, what, that's why I appreciate it. We appreciate it. 
All right, folks. We're going to say good night now, and thank you again. Good night. All right. Good night, everybody.